FM Breakfast Show with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. To the Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. You're listening on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. This morning we have a special shout-out for those listening in Tarmore, New South Wales on 87.6, Somerset, Queensland, also on 87.6 and Codjanup, Codjanup, Codjanup in Western Australia. Uh, also on 87.6, if you are from one of those places, then give us a call, send us a text message, let us know that you're listening, and if you're from Codjanup, let us know how to pronounce that one. We would love to hear from you, or even somewhere near there. I don't know where that is. Codjanup. I don't know where it is. I, where's Western Australia? That's my question. It's kind of like when you live over east, it's kind of like a different country it's over there, isn't it? It's like... It's actually the one uh, the one state I almost said country the one state in Australia that I haven't been to. I've been everywhere. Really? Else. I've been everywhere else. Uh, really? I've seen decent decent portions of South Australia, the Northern Territory, Queensland, Victoria. I've been to Tassie. Western Australia is awesome, but Western Australia, I'm just I've never felt. Compelled. They don't have racetracks in Western Australia. They they do, but they're far away, and I don't want to go to. Them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Perth is the the world's most remote city, so there you really? go. It is, yeah. It's just far away from other big cities. From everywhere. From all other big cities. It's Good. The furthest away from other big I cities. I don't want to be close to Perth. I mean, ah, I'm That's just the advantage of living I in just, Perth. You're not close to anybody I'm else. Just it's just kidding. the best. It's a cool place to be and to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just expensive place to post stuff to and from. Yeah. <laughs> it's the world's a, most remote city. It's, it's literally a country away. It's, it's on the other side. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Oh, I'm going to be talking about awesome Tasmanian stuff this morning. Can't wait to get into it. Mm-hmm. Very exciting story. Um, and one that will hopefully create lots of discussion. We want to yeah. hear from you guys about this particular story this morning. The mystery. Yes. Mm. But before we get into anything, we're going to have our first question for the quiz. How many days a week did the manna appear in the wilderness for the Israelites? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win our prize for this week, which is the Revive Cafe Cookbooks 3 and 4, Volumes 3 and 4. These are amazing, vegan, tasty, healthy, relatively easy to make, like everything you could possibly need in a cookbook. We have two of them. We want to give them to you. All you need to do to get them is answer these questions correctly. So, again, that question was, how many days a week did the manna appear in the wilderness for the Israelites? 0491-064-669. All right. If you know the answer, you know the number to call. But right now, we're going to talk about positively different news while you think about it. Positively different news, Lyle. We're going to talk about some of my favorite positively different news to talk about. Uh, Motorbikes. Actually, before I get into that, other positively different news. Oh, yes. we're going to talk about hydrogen. Before okay. we get in, oh, cool, cool, uh, Before cool. we talk about hydrogen. Love stuff that blows up. Because hydrogen is very cool. Dude, positively different news. Nature is healing, Lyle. Right. I drove into the studio this morning. Yes. And standing in the car park. Beside my car. Trying to steal your car was two massive kangaroos. I'm glad they didn't steal it. And I was like. You know, I don't <gasps> think they were trying to steal it. What were they trying to do? Jump out in front of it. (laughs) Well, my car was still warm, so I think they were like, here's a warm car. 
Mm. We'll stand beside it. We will warm up. You know, it's morning. It's mm. breakfast show time. It's cold. Maybe they thought they could jump in front of a still car, you know, a non-moving car, and you know, and and get that adrenaline rush. That's right. That they that the they often rush. go for absolute <laughs> adge- adrenaline junkies. <laughs> that uh, that the reason. But I've never. I've okay. I've never seen ruse here. I have once. First of all, but then not only are the ruse here, which I mean, is we're like, in town. You know, we're in town. There's like a big kind of like there's, there's bush nature, behind us, like bush and nature area. I'd expect to see them there. Not only have I never seen kangaroos, but we're there, on one of Newcastle's main roads, like busiest roads, Lake and they're road. standing in the car park, yes. just having a good time, just yes. hanging out. And I was like. Checking out my car. They, oh, that's because I got such a cool car. Why oh, wouldn't kangaroos check out my car? It's, yeah, they were like, this Suzuki Alto is the bomb. <laughs> but, but, yeah, no, I was just I'm probably looking at it like, surprised. yeah, if we got hit one of these, we'd just, we'd just shake it off and pop away. <laughs> They're sizing it up. Yep. Basically. They're doing their research. Uh-huh. But yeah, I was, I was good for the kangaroos, you know, getting around. Okay, let's talk about hydrogen. Yes. So, hydrogen cars. People are talking about them. I, Toyota are, are investing in them. I personally would... You have heard of the Zeppelin, right? Oh, the the, the big the hydrogen big blimp? The one that came, went across the Atlantic into New York and then uh, caught fire. And then blew up. Yeah, so, so now actually, we're going to put that into cars. This, this, is, this is the thing. This is the thing. So, hydrogen... You get re-rendered and your l- listen, this fuel is, tank This up. is what the story is about, Lana. Oh, cool. This is all what the story is about. So, get basically, the most common methods that we have for using hydrogen as fuel, which is, I, in my opinion, one of the best ideas because yes, you yes, make no carbon yes. emissions and it's the single most naturally occurring yes. and abundant elements in yes, the yes, entire yes. universe. We know yes. this. It's amazing. It's awesome. But the two most common methods are either as a gas right, or as a liquid. Yes. And now, particularly like when it comes to gas, when you're just driving around in a big bomb, that's pretty dangerous. Yes. It's incredibly dangerous. I remember watching a documentary. It was about the top speed records, and they were trying to make, like, one of the fastest cars, you know, that go, like, 1,700 kilometers per hour across land. Yep. And they were, like, uh, there was a team from a university who made one that was hydrogen-fueled, but they constantly worried about the thing just blowing up. And not blowing up in the car sense of, like, you know, blowing up the engine, like the whole thing just blowing up. They were worried. They're driving a bomb. And this, and the reason is because, like, the, the advantage of burning gas is that it's so flammable, right? And you can yes. use so much of it so quickly. Now, a group actually from Australia down at UTS have come up with a hydrogen storage module that can be used to power hydrogen cars and mm-hmm. batteries and all that kind of thing that is solid state. Right. So they've turned hydrogen... Into a solid. They've frozen it. They've frozen it. That's right. Now, the problem that they've found previously with anything to do with solid state hydrogen is if it's solid, (laughs) then it takes a lot of time to recharge, to fill out, to thaw out, all these kinds of things. But then they've made this battery and they've made this like, like, what do they call it? A half cylindrical spiral design. So this right. weird spiral mm. and with like heaters along with it. And they've actually been able to store hydrogen in an incredibly safe way that won't blow up because frozen, mm. but also reduce, like have a charging time reduction that is 
essentially on par with gas or liquid and has, you know, over the course of their experiments, they've seen drastic reductions in, you know, charging time and storage time and all those kinds of things by about 60%. That's significant. So basically you can drive, uh, like why, why this is awesome is because hydrogen technology is the direction I definitely think we should go. As I said before, a lot of people are investing in this. But but the question is, like, you know, the abundance of hydrogen, the storage of hydrogen, driving around in a big bomb, all these kind of things. You don't have to worry about your hydrogen Toyota Camry blowing up because it's going to have a solid-state hydrogen in it. Like, yeah, okay. So, but the question, I mean, hey, LPG is incredibly flammable. Mm-hmm. They used LPG for the barley bombs. Mm-hmm. So you can make massive bombs out of LPG. Uh-huh. But what we did with LPG was we, when we put it into vehicles, we put it into tanks that were made out of three mil plate steel mm-hmm. compared to just pressed sheet metal that you put petrol or diesel into. Mm-hmm. And so we did make it safer. We put a valve at either end. Wouldn't hydrogen just be the same? Just put it in three mil, three mil plate steel container and put a valve at either end that automatically cuts off? Yes, Lyle, but that's heavy. True. And lame. Whereas, because this, also when you have solid state hydrogen, think about the amount that you can shrink a hydrogen like powered battery or engine or anything like that. Mm, but when you freeze stuff, it expands. Yes, but it's no longer like a gas. So yes. like you could have, you think about it, you could get to the point where you could have a hydrogen powered phone. Yeah, it's very cool. Idea. Because it's solid like state. This. Because it's solid state, you can take it anywhere. It's not I gonna, like it. I you're not going to imagine dropping your hydrogen gas powered phone and just wonder, blows I up. I wonder what the torque and horsepower uh, specifications are on hydrogen compared to lithium. Well, I mean, lithium is just like has massive amount produces massive amounts of torque. Yeah, but the thing is, is that like these engines that they're making that are hydrogen powered are just electric electrical engines okay, so that just are powered using, by hydrogen. A hydrogen battery. That's right. To an electric engine. That's right. So much so better than lithium. So it's ex- essentially exactly the same, but you're using a naturally occurring abundant resource versus lithium, which is a non-renewable and toxic. Super toxic. Uh-huh. So hydrogen is solving all our problems, Lyle. That, there you go. And think about it. God was like, this is so good. I'm okay, just so going to make this, it the most abundant. Does this mean that uh, Toyota is going to overtake Tesla because they went down the hydrogen path, whereas Tesla well, we'll went down see. the, the lithium pr- path? The problem with the hydrogen path is that people have to provide hydrogen. Yes. Which fuel companies... It shouldn't be hard to do. It's abundant. That's right. But fuel companies make money from petroleum. Yes. And so I think uh, Toyota, being the smart, big company that they are, they've seen the future and they're going, well, by 2030 in Europe, they like they want to be net zero. Yes. And so we can't use fuel anymore. So what Toyota needs to do is to create small hydrogen-creating plants, oh, like the yep. size of a small generator that you uh-huh. put in your backyard, and just bypass the fuel companies. But this is the thing. The fuel companies are going to have to change. They will. And I think that, like, Toyota has kind of future-proofed in a way and they've, like, brought out all their concepts and whatnot and they're like, yep, we're going to do this by hydrogen, which is cool. Hydrogen is awesome. Give us your thoughts as well. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to have another question for our quiz before we get into an ethical discussion this morning. Lawson, what's our next question? 
our next question is, what was the name of the orator that opposed Paul? Okay. The orator who, orator who opposed Paul, if you know who that is, it's a little bit more challenging. Yeah, it is definitely, and that's why we actually have a hint here. Okay. So this is for people, again, you know, we, we say if, if you are a weekly church attender, you know, if you, you go along to church, don't use this hint. But if you are not, we would love you to research. We would love you to know the answer. Yeah, go to some Bible study. Learn the Bible. Uh, and it comes from Acts chapter 24. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say. Okay. So in Acts 24, Go what was the it. name of the orator that opposed Paul? 0491-064-669. Okay, so apparently within 10 years we could have a population of Tasmanian tigers once again wandering around in Tasmania. Lawson's looking at me with a puzzled look right I here. Tasmanian tigers like didn't exist anymore. Okay, so it's been almost 90 years since the species went exist. The last one in the wild was seen and shot in 1930. Was seen and shot. Yes. This last... person was like, let's, let's end it. Well, that was basically what happened was Tasmanian tigers are a large carnivorous uh, marsupial in Tasmania that would prey on uh, livestock. Mm. And so, so farmers saw them as a pest and shot them whenever they could, and the last one was shot in 1930. And the guy who shot it, you know, very proudly took a photo of it. You can see him there in the photo with him and his dog and this big old Tasmanian tiger with a, you know, hole through it. Mm-hmm. And that photograph has been preserved because it was the last one that was ever seen in the wild. The last one that, well, the last one was actually photographed mm-hmm. in the wild. The last one in captivity died in the Hobart Zoo in 1936, so just six years later, and it's believed to have been extinct ever since. There have been sightings that have been reported right through that time period, and uh, when you look at how much incredibly remote country Tasmania has, Mm. it's not hard to believe that there was a small population of Tasmanian tigers that still did exist after the last one was shot in the wild, but probably a collapsing uh, population, a population that was so far on decline that it could not come back from mm. the brink of collapse. Well, the University of Melbourne Research Lab has partnered with a United States genetic engineering company to boost efforts to bring the marsupial back, and they're expecting to have it back within 10 years. They're going to, what, clone it? Along with, no, they're not going to clone it. Along with, so they're bringing two species back, the Tasmanian tiger and the woolly mammoth. How? Okay, so this is um, so the uh, University of Melbourne's professor Andrew Pask, uh, who is the world's foremost tiger expert, uh, assembled uh, the first complete genome of the Tasmanian tiger. This is using DNA from uh, thylacines, is what they're otherwise called, that had been preserved in alcohol, mm-hmm. and we had you know good preservation of these because it wasn't that long ago that it went extinct. Mm. He then found uh, the species with the most similar. Genome, which turns out is the fat-tailed Dunnart. Mm. And what they propose to do is take a Dunnart cell, which is similar to a thylacine cell, edit that Dunnart cell into a thylacine cell, Mm -hmm. then create a pregnancy using IVF, and you've got a situation where then the fat-tailed Dunnart would give birth to a 100% thylacine. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the advantages of being able to do this, because that tail donut is, what, 60 millimetres long? It's tiny. It's like a bit bigger than a mouse. Okay. Uh, so you're sort of like, well, how can that give birth to the world's largest marsupial uh, predator that has ever existed? Well, the thylacine gives birth in its pouch to a, an offspring that's about the size of a grain of rice. Oh. So they figure, well, a fat-tailed donut can do that. That shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. And then you've simply got to create an artificial pouch for it to be raised in, and you're going to start raising thylacines. Yeah. Or Tasmanian tigers. So, so the question is, is this is this good news or is this? A little I'm bit... kind of scared. You like, kind of scared. Um, um, why, why are you scared? Are this... you scared that they will have that you'll get eaten by a Tasmanian tiger? No, I'm scared that they'll do this to humans. <laughs> they already have, <laughs> and that's scary. Okay, so this is what's interesting about this um, technology. Mm-hmm. The technology here, you can see how it could be used in an absolutely amazing way to see creatures that we never dreamed we would ever see, mm. you know, a woolly mammoth or a Tasmanian tiger or, you know, any other number of species that might be going extinct or about to go extinct. You simply preserve their tissues mm. and you're good to go in bringing it back from extinction in the future. Some people have questioned, you know, are we playing God when we do this? Uh, the scientists that are doing it saying, well, were we, were we playing God when we shot them all? Mm. And so it raises all kinds of ethical questions, particularly around, you know, the issue of playing God. Uh, you know, is it wrong to manage populations of animals on this earth? No, I don't believe so because the Bible says a number of things. Number one, that we were placed on the earth to... Let's be quiet. That. Uh, we were placed on the earth to manage the earth. Mm. And number two, that our earth has been affected by sin. Mm. And so when you put those two things together, you need to recognise that, yeah, sometimes we have to manage populations on the earth. That does not mean that we should be sending them extinct. Mm. Uh, evolutionists, of course, the true hardcore evolutionists are going to take the view that uh, you should just let evolu- evolution take its course. Mm. So if you've got an invasive species like, for instance, feral cats, which are wreaking havoc across our environment, domestic cats are also wreaking havoc across our environment, um, we... We, we need to recognise that, um, you, you know, when, when, you've, when you've got all of this happening, that we need, to, we need to do something about this, whereas a true evolutionist will say, well, why would you do anything about it? Because that is how our environment has been created, by extinctions. Mm. Well, then there's the other aspect of this. Mm-hmm. How far do you take gene editing? Yeah. So this is what's been done so far, and it was done actually quite a long time ago. They created a mouse that was born to mice using this technology that was 1% human, Mm. had 1% human DNA. Mm -hmm. They then pointed out the fact that it was no harder to make a mouse 1% human DNA than to make it 100% DNA. Mm. And so potentially what you could do is you could take a mouse, edit its, G- its DNA, uh, then you could have a, a fertilised egg from that mouse. You could then implant that into a woman, a human woman, mm-hmm. and she would give birth to a human because the DNA is 100% human, so it can't be anything other than human, and you would have a human being 
100% human being whose biological parents were mice. That is the single scariest thing you've ever said. It's kind of terrifying, and that technology has been around for about 15 years now. Yeah. So it raises some ethical questions. On the one hand, I'm super keen to see the woolly mammoth and the Tasmanian yeah. tiger come back. Uh-huh. I just want to see that happen. On the other hand, are we developing technology here where we can really start to mess with God's created order? And, okay, this is all good and fine when the scientists who are using it are ethical scientists. Mm -hmm. But are all scientists ethical? Mm. And with the availability of information, you know, once something is digital and it's online, which pretty much all information is these days, it goes anywhere. Mm. It goes everywhere. Mm -hmm. There are parts of our world where there are regimes that are are, are unethical. Mm Mm-hmm. And do not have the standards of that we would consider to be norms in you know Western society. Mm. They have different culture and different standards and see things differently. Mm. So, yeah, it kind of really does make you wonder what direction our world is travelling. And it also makes you wonder what that says about the return of Jesus because once we start to really mess with God's created uh, species, the species, because you can create, you know, cross species now. Mm. Where, where is, where is it? I, I believe that this is heading us towards the return of Jesus Christ. Because once we start yeah. to mess with this kind of technology, we are delving in into an area that we probably really shouldn't be delving into. So there are some real pros and cons to this one. Would love to hear your thoughts on it. Send us a text message or give us a call. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're about to have another question for our quiz, Lawson. Who had four daughters, each of whom was a prophetess? 0491-064-669. That is the number to call or text if you know the answer. If you do, you'll go into the draw to win our Revive Cafe vegan cookbooks, amazing, awesome recipes that you can cook to be tasty and healthy and happy and awesome. But again, that question was, who had four daughters, each of whom was a prophetess? 0491-064-669. All right. Well, joining us on the phone this morning to talk about emotional health is Jennifer Skews. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, good to be here. And what are we talking about this morning, Jennifer? Well, we're going to continue on with, of course, with the brain and looking at the emotional health. Um, and we've talked a lot about getting off that emotional roller coaster. And a key element for the brain is the will and the conscience. So I thought we'd talk a bit more about that. I have mentioned it before, but it's such an important part of the brain because without that capacity, with the will and the conscience, we can't make good decisions, um, we can't discern right and wrong. So um, I think it's an important area. And the will itself, both the will and the conscience, are physically part of the brain. And more recently, science has been able to measure them and discern how they are used. And the conscience is a very small part of the brain just behind the front the front, um, like the temple, the front of the brain, just above the eyes or above the nose. And um, that has the capacity, they found, to actually discern good and bad or right and wrong. 
um, and they've been able to, using obviously biofeedback, they can actually work out by giving people decisions how that part of the brain activates. So we often think of the conscience as a rather uh, amorphous part of the brain that we don't know much about or we don't see it as a physical factor. Um, the interesting thing is there are people who can be born without a conscience, and that's at extreme end. Um, but how we use our conscience is by choice. No one forces us. Um, certainly God will never force our will. It's what we call free will. So the choices we make are crucial in our health, in our daily activities, um, how we treat people. So it's certainly a huge factor when it comes to um, working with our mind and our emotions. It's, it's so really, if I could just yes. jump in there for a moment, I find this conversation about the conscience absolutely fascinating. And the reason I find it fascinating is that one of the discussions amongst evolutionary circles is the evolution of the conscience because there is no evolutionary model for the conscience. You know, why do we as human beings have this sense of right and wrong? It's not necessary to a human being to have a sense of right and wrong to be a very successful species. If we look at, say, for instance, something like a great white shark. It has is a very successful species. It's an apex predator. Uh, it's a species that is not under any kind of threat at the moment, and uh, yet it has no conscience. Well, the thing is, there there are three parts of the brain we've talked about: the survival brain, the emotional brain, and the physical brain. Well, a shark will have a survival brain, so it works totally on instinct and survival. It'll do whatever it has to do to be able to stay alive and procreate. So it doesn't have to feel necessarily, although there are certainly a lot of the mammals and that can feel, have survival and feeling, emotions. So, yeah, so for us, we are unique in that um, we have this capacity to discern between right and wrong. Mm. Now you mentioned you mentioned that you know some people are born with a disability where they actually don't have a conscience, they don't have this part of the brain, and that would be just a, a tremendously challenging thing for a human being to uh, to be born with. We would think that from an evolutionary perspective that might be an advantage because then you would be able to perform acts which mm-hmm. would better aid you in your ability to pass on your genetic material without getting the negative PTSD and so forth, that is so often associated with with human beings. Well, it would, but at the same time, the way you treat people, the decisions you make are crucial because that person, if they're not using their conscience or it's not active or it doesn't exist, then they can't discern between what's right and wrong, mm. so they will do what is wrong. Mm. Um, and this is where we get what we call that the psychopath or the narcissists, where we get those extreme ends of personality. Um, And sadly, there are too many of them around. And when it comes to the law, those people who don't have that conscience factor eventually can be locked up and they will never be released because they have no remorse. They don't have... It cuts out that feeling factor of shame, like guilt. They don't have that. Mm. So this is where they're actually very dangerous people. But it's interesting because when it comes to the brain and brain development, and a lot of these studies I looked at quite a few years ago were with children um, and the brain development, and they found that there was a case 
they'd followed of a child who didn't have that part of the brain intact and that child was adopted and the adopted parents were incredibly loving and they actually taught that child to be a loving child. So the brain can actually learn and grow. Um, so it's not, not so set in concrete. If you're born without that factor, you can learn. The brain can map it and put it in place. That's which unbelievable. Is an That's amazing, isn't it? It is. The brain is incredible. We don't know that much about the brain, really, but the conscience is an amazing part. Um, so, 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 a question that just comes to my mind then: if you can, yes. if you can rewire the brain so yes. that you can train it to have a conscience, yes. can you do the opposite? You can. There are people who have been maybe abused, let down, traumatized in life that they just shut that part of the brain down and don't use it. Now, I don't know whether it actually it would probably diminish in its physical. Um, sense because if you the use it or lose it principle, but there are people who have decided that life is so bad that they're just not going to feel anymore and they're just going to, you know, really pay out on people. Um, but again, I think they're a minority. Most people, their conscience can be reactivated. Which is a good thing. Mm. It's, it's mm. So, so, so um, just, just looking at the comparison then between a, mm. a shark, which you know, mm-hmm. a great white shark, which has a survival brain, with a human yep. being which has you know has survival, it has emotion, it has conscience, it has the will, you know, has all yep. these different aspects to it. Mm. Um, if if we've got a if we've got a human brain that that persistently, you know, because we know we can rewire the brain, if there is something, if our conscience is telling us, you know, this and this and this is wrong because we're born that way, we're born with a conscience. The reality is, I mean, you know, I've got a one-year-old granddaughter right now and you can see she has a conscience. She knows the difference between right and wrong. She was she was born that way, which is absolutely amazing. If you persistently ignore the conscience, then it would seem that the brain would rewire itself to stop, Using that part of the brain, you wouldn't. Would, yeah, if would, you would ignore that, it, wouldn't. wouldn't that then result? You know, if we take the conscience out of the brain, mm-hmm. doesn't that then result in one hundred percent selfishness? Because I would see oh, a shark absolutely. with a survival brain as being one hundred percent selfish. Doesn't think about anything else other than itself. Well, the narcissist, or what we used to call the psychopath, now sociopath. Um, they don't um, have any feelings at all. They just action. It's about survival and they don't, it's totally self-centred and that's what narcissism is. It's it's, um, totally self-centred. We can all be narcissistic. I mean, there are times where we're tired, we're hungry or whatever and it's all about me, 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 but um, the conscience gives you an awareness. You go, hang on, that's not very nice to that person. Or we realise things because of the conscience, and we can come out of self because your conscience connects to God. It's through the conscience that the Holy Spirit motivates, and um, God can talk to us. So mm. once you shut that down, you're shutting down that capacity to have the love of God and to be directed by God via the Holy Spirit. So. Which which means we don't know right and wrong. We can't 
obey, whether it be obeying your parents, obeying God, or whatever we do, we become very disobedient. And it's about self. Mm. Mm. We have to give up self. The principle is we've got to what we call die to self. Um, and that's a hard one for most people. But an ability that seems to be unique to, well, fairly unique to human beings. It certainly doesn't exist in many other species. And, and, and once again, an, an evidence that we were created in the image of God. We weren't created like other animals. That's right. That's right. That means we have that factor where we can have the love in our heart and discernment, but the conscience has to be active for that to happen. Mm. So, but you're right. Animals generally are selfish. They want to be fed. They want to be loved. They want to be looked after. So um, some animals can have a sense of conscience. Um, a dog can have more of a sense of right and wrong than a cat because of the way their brain, the size of the brain and the way it's wired. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting when you start looking at it, um, but generally we're the only beings with that factor in where we have a conscience and a brain that actually thinks and is, has uh, the capacity to reason. That is the difference. Yeah. If you reason with a conscience or without a conscience, it makes a huge difference. Now, we started talking about the will. Tell us about the mm-hmm. will. How does the will and the conscience, how do they relate to each other? Okay. Now, the will is the is actually factored in the brain from the front of the brain to the back um, between the left and right um, brain, the neocortex. So it, it is, again, it's a physical factor that can be measured in the brain and the will is takes action it's our will that will action things so but what the conscience does will determine what we action so once my conscience is oh that wasn't a very nice thing to do to that person and my will will action it by going and apologizing or seeing if i've offended them mm-hmm. okay so the two work together and if you will you seem on TV, particularly you see people who don't have a conscience and they will do the most heinous crime and uh, their will actions it. We see terrible things, sadly. Mm -hmm. um, But it is to do with the will and what is driving the will, the conscience drives the will. Yes. Right. So we, yes. Yes. So these two are really intimately connected to each other in Absolutely. the results that we see in how a person acts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can tell a lot about the person by their actions, what their conscience is like, what they are like as an individual, what their character's like. Okay, so, so then we, we, could, we, could, we could then, uh, I'm wondering whether there is a spectrum here, and I'm suspecting that there might be, a spectrum in the mm-hmm. conscience where you have some people with a very strong conscience and some people with mm-hmm. no conscience and uh, people on a range somewhere in between. Would that be accurate summary? Yes, it is. And it, it comes back to life and uh, genes, the genetic pool, how the brain wired, developed, um, the family, because as a child or a baby, your family, particularly your mother, is your first model. So depending how strong their conscience is and how they use it, the child can learn. Mm. Um, but again, the children are individuals and there are some children who will not learn. Um, you know, you, you get five children in a family and there might be one that, you know, they used to call the black sheep when I was growing up. 
And uh, sometimes they're that person who doesn't have that conscience factor and doesn't seem to develop it. So it's uh, it's interesting to look at that because you think, well, why? Why would that happen? So it is to do with character and personality and sensitivity as well. Okay, so now if the brain can be rewired, and this is something we've talked about mm-hmm. you know, quite extensively from time to time, is the fact that the brain can be rewired, then it yeah. seems to me just listening to this conversation, the one part of our brain or one of the parts of our brain that we really need to start exercising and growing and developing is our conscience because Absolutely. that then affects our will, which affects what we do, which affects our life. And so it seems like it all starts with the conscience. How do we strengthen our conscience? Well, by... Stop looking at self and start to look out and give to others, what can I do to help someone? You know, I find people who very have been locked in in a mental illness with themselves are, are very self-centred but not in a nasty way. It's about survival, but um, I get them to go out and do volunteer work because that focuses them back out and it starts to activate that factor. Right. Okay, so we, we, yeah. are, we are out of time here, but if I can just summarise that then, a brain that has no conscience mm-hmm. is 100% purely selfish. Oh, totally. And so then uh, what we need to do to rewire that conscience into our brain is to yes. practice selfless deeds and that will affect our brain, which will strengthen our conscience. Absolutely. And pray. Ask God to help us do this. Let the Spirit work in our life. Absolutely. Jennifer Skews, fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.